Thank you, God, that you are our king. And we kneel in adoration at your power, your might, your majesty, your glory. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing it was for him to take on flesh, to become embodied, and not just for a season, not just for 33 years, but forever. That he is our brother in flesh and in bone. What an amazing thing. And as we think about his resurrection today, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will remind us that we too will be resurrected and that you will animate us to live lives that are worthy of the kingdom of God. We thank you that as a community, we have regular reminders of beauty and play and celebration. We thank you for sporting events that allow us to use our bodies, to push ourselves, to try new things. We thank you for talent events allow us to dance and sing and play instruments and tell jokes and do so in an atmosphere of love and support and encouragement and loud cheers. We thank you for recitals that allow us to stand and give testimony through music to the faithfulness of you through our years at Calvin. We pray for our community we pray for the brokenness that gets exhibited in something like Calvin Confessions. God, it reminds us how much we need healing. We didn't need really any more examples of depravity, and it can be wearying to read them. And so we pray that you will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that you will call us out of darkness and into light, we pray, Lord, that instead we will be people who celebrate confession the way you want us to, as part of a whole story, of a gospel narrative, of a God who refuses to let us sit in our sin, to sit in our loneliness, and instead calls us into wholeness and calls us into community. This is what we need. This is what we want. And so we pray for our community. We lift up seniors in their last weeks of being here at Calvin, many of whom have plans. They have jobs, they have grad school, they're excited, they know what's next, and many of whom do not. And they are just wondering. And honestly, Lord, they are worrying. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters who don't know what's next, that you will call them into trust, call them into living each day fully surrendered to your will for their lives, and we pray, Lord, that they just won't thrash around wondering, but instead they will seek counsel from people who know them well, that they will listen well to you in worship, that they will talk with respected mentors and adults who can encourage them. And Lord, we pray for a rich blessing on this graduating class. And in this month, when high school seniors think about where they're going to go, we pray a blessing on them. Thank you for the hospitality that gets exhibited week after week as people come to visit. Lord, we pray for a great incoming class, for people who are fired up for the gospel, who are eager to learn and to serve, who know what it takes to be part of Christian community. 
Lord, we pray that we will remember that you are shaping this class. And we may have anxieties about how many people and what it's going to look like and how it's going to work. Lord, help us to lay those anxieties down. And Lord, for, for those of us who need energy and stamina to do what needs to be done, to write the paper, to finish the lab work, to take the test, Lord, we pray that you remind us again and again that our calling here in this place right now is to be students. And that we can't be distracted by thinking so much about what's next that we forget about what's right now. That you invite us to be faithful today, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you today. And so keep us rooted in the present and don't let the enemy tempt us to grieve the past or to worry about the future but instead to remember that you are Lord of all. And God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the resurrection. It amazes us. And as we read about it now and hear about it again, we pray that it will be fresh to us. Open your word, we pray, by your mercy. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, Christ the word made flesh, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. So I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 today. 1 Corinthians 15, page 935 in your pew Bibles. going to read a couple of sections now, but I invite you to leave it open because we'll be referring back to the parts that I don't read as we go on through. So I want to, we're going to read 3 through 11 to start. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 11. This is Paul who's writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, for I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Now we'll just keep reading a little bit. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you, some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it was true that the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have also died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's a little upset right now. 
And he goes on from there to say, no, look, it's not what if it's true, but what if it's not true? He's like, some of you say this, and some of you say this, and some of you say this. But what I'm saying, verse 50, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and by that he means the earthly bodies that we have right now as they are, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Corinth was quite a city. Corinth was a Roman colony in Greece. Rome had come and conquered Greece, and per their tradition, they had completely wiped out the city, just wiped it out. And for a long time, it was just in ruins. And then Rome realized that Corinth, being a port city, would be very advantageous to them. So about 40 years before the birth of Christ, they began to build it back up. And they built up the city of Corinth with everything that Romans like. Roman temples, and a stadium, and an amphitheater, and a marketplace, all the things that were important to them. So even though it's a city in Greece, it actually was very Roman. And Part of the challenge was that the Roman gods and goddesses were the things that dominated the landscape. And it was believed that you just kind of did your best with the gods and goddesses as it were, and then you died, and the afterlife wasn't really that great. And so what really mattered was this particular life. And the body that you had right now, the most important thing to do for it was give it everything it needed. Lots of pleasure, because once you die, you lose the ability to experience pleasure. Your body is gone, your ability to experience pleasure is gone, so take all you can right now, because YOLO. <laughs> it's a pagan heresy, by the way. That's the way that they worked their way through life. Just take all the pleasure you can, get everything you can, your body is only for now. So Paul comes traipsing in, this lovely, nerdy Jewish man, and he starts talking with them about resurrection and the body and immortality and Jesus. And they start to go, oh, this is great. This guarantees that my soul is immortal, which is something I already understand. This is really nice. I really get that. Thanks, Paul. I love it that my soul is really immortal. That's a nice confirmation. And 
and your whole kingdom of God sounds a whole lot better than an afterlife that's in our poems and stuff, so sign me up for this. But they didn't really get the idea that the resurrection of Jesus meant that they would all be resurrected. That their bodies would also be resurrected. That their bodies mattered to God. That it wasn't YOLO, it's YOLF. You only live forever. <laughs> That's what it is. And it's easy for us to look at the Corinthians and go, oh, those silly pagans. They're so funny, like pleasing the body all the time and getting all caught up in pleasure and valuing people based on their body parts. That's just silly. Who does that? <laughs> at Calvin Crush. Anytime we essentialize people down to body parts, it's pagan. Not just mean people, pagan, anti-God. So when you read on Calvin Crush, which thanks be to God, and I mean that in all seriousness, is now shut down. When you read on Calvin Crush about, you have a certain body part that I admire, and I would like to take my body's pleasure in enjoying that body part, pagan, sin, I am buying the idea that your body exists for my pleasure. That I am going to look across this campus and choose out the people who make me take a second glance and value them only for that. You don't read on Calvin Crush, wow, you asked the best question in class today, I am so proud of you, hashtag so smart. You don't read, you have such amazing character. I watched you help that person today. Hashtag compassion. It all becomes essentialized down to body and it alienates the soul from the body. And anytime we do that, folks, that is not what Jesus is about. That is not what God is about. And please, that is not what Calvin College is about. So we come to this idea that bodies need to matter. And Paul grew up with this, being a good Jew. Because in Jewish tradition, bodies do matter. And they have all these wonderful prayers for different bodily functions and what's happening with the body. And it was very much believed that your whole body mattered. And the resurrection of the body was something that was taught and believed. Lauren Winner is a woman who grew up as a Jew and converted to Christianity. And she wrote this great little book called Mudhouse Sabbath about the differences that she observed between uh, Judaic traditions and Christianity. And she has this great chapter on the body. She writes this, it's no accident that Jewish prayers relating to the body acknowledge, above all, God as creator. The prayer to be uttered before sex pause, they have a prayer that you have to pray before sex. Now, if you're engaging in sexual intercourse with something and you think, oh, I probably shouldn't pray right now, you shouldn't be having sex with that person. <laughs> That's just free advice. 
The prayer to be uttered before sex thanks God for creating pleasure. Isn't that great? Similarly, the Asher Yatsar, the blessings Jews recite after going to the bathroom, yes, thanks God for, quote, creating in me many orifices and many cavities. It is obvious and known before your throne of glory that if one of them were to be ruptured or one of them blocked, it would be impossible for a person to survive and stand before you, unquote. That's a tradition that gets body. And that brings the whole person in the presence of the king of kings. She writes, Jews can be present to their bodies in part because they have a story and a doctrine of creation. And then she talks about the fact that we get that as Christians. We inherit that beautiful tradition, that doctrine of creation. And she says, attending Christianly to our bodies is a matter of some urgency because there's no neutral way to be a body. Some of us try, but there's no neutral way to be a body. If we do not take our bodily cues from the Christian story, we will take them from somewhere else, from the magazines screaming about taking off five pounds, from the all-you-can-eat buffets asking us to stuff our bodies, from the fashion designers asking us to parade them. So an interesting question for us tonight is from where are we taking the cues about our bodies? I was watching Wipeout this week. Do you watch Wipeout? I confess to you, my brothers and sisters, that Wipeout is a guilty indulgence for me. <laughs> and this is what I sound like while I am watching Wipeout. Me, watching Wipeout. Oh! Ah! Uh. Go! Go around! Go around! That's me watching Wipeout. And as I was watching Wipeout this week, I was realizing that it was teaching me something about bodies. It was teaching me that it's okay to put on a helmet and pads and do really stupid things over obstacles and try not to fall in water if, at the end of it, you could receive $50,000. <laughs> not that you will receive $50,000 because many people do not. But I thought, what is that teaching me about bodies? If you regularly play a first-person shooting video game, Call of Duty, for example. And you can play a game in which you see blood splattering. Now, I realize it's fake blood. I'd, I'd realize this. But you're choosing to engage in an activity in which bodies don't matter. And in fact, your, your body as a player doesn't matter. You can be killed, and then somehow you come back to life. Reset. And what is that teaching us about bodies? And then, when you're in the checkout at the grocery, I want you to look for a magazine titled Family Circle. All right? It's one of those women's magazines. It's in almost every checkout aisle. And the Family Circle almost always has on the cover some glorious-looking dessert. I mean, it looks good. All right? And it usually says something on the cover like, our recipe for chocolate decadence cake inside. <coughs> My body isn't functioning. 
Thank you. <clears throat> Chocolate decadence cake. <laughs> and then I'll say the other things that are in the cover. And almost always, Family Circle has the gorgeous dessert and a line that says, you can lo lose five pounds by the weekend. <laughs> almost always. And, and we read this, and here's the, uh, here's the message that we're getting. Your body deserves pleasure. Look, here it is on our beautiful cover, complete with recipe. This pleasure can be yours. Chocolate decadence cake. But don't get fat because then no one will value you. Is it any wonder that some of us go crazy around body image when that's the dual message we get? Take pleasure in food. Food is good. Eat all you want. Don't get fat or we won't value you. Have your cake. Lose five pounds. Is it any wonder that we have people who struggle with bulimia, anorexia? And if you look at any, almost any other magazine cover that's right there, there will be a person on it, usually a woman, who has had extreme amounts of professional help to get her to look as good as she looks in this magazine. I mean, there are professional makeup artists professional hair people, professional wardrobe people, people who spend hours getting her to look good for a magazine cover that will last 28 days. And we are invited to look at that cover and admire her beauty, and what happens in the same moment is we think, I will never look like her. And then we want to eat chocolate decadence cake and we get right on the bus to crazy town. Because we think, I can never look like her, and obviously this is what is valued. And if I don't look like that, therefore I am not valued. And so I don't really need to take care of my body that well, because I can never look like that. I learned this week that in Hollywood, there are professional airbrush tanners. So that if you need to be in a movie, let's say, with your shirt off, let's say, they will airbrush tan abs on you. So you will look like you have abs, and they are painted on. So when you see Ryan Gosling with his shirt off, think airbrush. <laughs> Not real. This is an entire industry that is proliferating lies. People don't look this good. And the lie is, if you buy this product, you could look that good. Or if you wore this shirt, you could look this good. No, if you had people pouring over you every day for eight to 10 hours with the express purpose of making you look good, yes, you would look that good. I don't know about you, but I've got other things to do with my time. <laughs> but this is what is communicated in our culture around bodies. Pleasure matters. Your appearance matters. And also mixed in with that, bodies are expendable. And so Paul, the nerdy Jew, looks at what's happening in Corinth and he's just like, oh, face palm. 
Come on, people. You can't be serious with this. Verse 30. After his rant, in the middle of his rant, really, he says, what about all this? If this isn't true, then this isn't true, then this isn't true. Verse 30. And why are we putting ourselves in danger every hour? I die every day. Not as certain, brothers and sisters, as my boasting of you, a boast I make in Christ Jesus our Lord, if with merely human hopes I fought with wild animals at Ephesus. Pause. He didn't literally fight with animals at Ephesus. Scholars think he was talking here about the riot that happened at Ephesus. Wild beasts is often a word that's used for spiritual struggle as well. Because he was a citizen of Rome, he would not have been put in the arena with wild animals. All right, and we're back. If with merely human hopes I fought with wild animals at Ephesus, what would I have gained by it? If the dead are not raised, sure, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If their dead are not raised, he says, go ahead, YOLO. If the dead are not raised, YOLO. But do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Come to a sober and right mind and sin no more, for some people have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This isn't a neutral area for Paul. He's not like, you know, if you come around to the idea of resurrection of the body, that'd be great. You know, like when you get there, it's okay. It's not important. He's like, no! It all rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything has to do with this. And so then he says, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool. He's very passionate about this. What you sow does not come back to life unless it dies. And as for you, what you sow, do you not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed perhaps of wheat or some other grain? And then I want to skip down to 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. That's what he's talking about. He says this is what the resurrection body looks like. It is imperishable. It is immortal. It is glorified. It is powerful. How does he know that? He's seen it. Verse 8. What did he say in verse 8? Flip it back. And then, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Because of the artwork that's been done about the conversion of Paul, we imagine him like on this horse and there's this bright light and he's knocked down to the truth. No, he saw Jesus, like standing there, incarnate, in the flesh. Hair, fingernails, body. Right there, looking at him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? He saw him. He saw the resurrection. He saw what resurrected bodies look like. So he sees the imperishability. He sees the immortality. He sees the glory. He sees the honor. So when he's talking about resurrection, he's talking about something that he has laid eyes on. And when we think about resurrected bodies, it's easy to imagine them as like glowy or something. 
But Jesus doesn't glow after he's resurrected. Listen to this from Luke 24. This is right after the Emmaus Road. While they were still talking about this, the Emmaus Road thing, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you, and they freaked right out. (laughs) They were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? Because we think we're seeing a ghost. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it's I myself. Touch. (laughs) Touch and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Well, in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. He said to them, have you got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. That's our best image of a resurrected body. Your resurrected body will be able to eat. Isn't that a good thing? I'm kind of excited about that. (laughs) And you'll be able to eat. People will be able to touch you. You will be incarnate. Because Jesus is still incarnate. He is still enfleshed. He didn't ascend into heaven and then like unzip his little flesh suit. He's still there in the flesh. And one of the reasons we worship him and we're amazed at his sacrifice for us is because he chose to take on flesh forever. He is eternally embodied. And the fact that when he shows up, everyone's like, well, I think that's Jesus. It looks like Jesus. And then he shows them what? His scars, right? Because scars tell a story. They tell a story of healing. And when Jesus was on earth and he was healing people, it was like little fast-forward resurrections. He would put his hands on their eyes and they could see. It was like a little resurrection in their their heads. They could walk. Their lungs could work again. A little fast-forward of resurrection, a little foretaste. It's going to be like this, but better. Resurrected bodies are going to be able to work. I was thinking about this this week with the whole resurrected bodies thing, and I was thinking, I wonder if you, in the in-between time, so you die, your soul goes to heaven, your whole, you're still waiting, you're waiting for Jesus to come back and reunite everything, right? We talked about this last year. For those of you who weren't here, it's online. Um, and, and I was thinking, does this mean when you're in heaven, kind of in the in-between, waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for the resurrection. Like, do you get to eat then? And I've got some significant food allergies. And one of the things that I really look forward to is feasting in the kingdom of heaven. Being like, I don't care what that is. It has gluten, I will eat extra, right? It's just gonna be, it's gonna be great. It's not gonna be like, does that have gluten? Does that, is that any lactose? It's it's gonna be like. Right? The anxiety that I carry with me because of the limits of my body will be gone. Oh man, I can't wait. The anxiety that you carry with you because of the limits of your body will be gone. I know some of you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, this body, I get to new heaven and new earth and I'm still, huh. <laughs> but the huh comes 
from identifying with the values of the world, right? It comes from believing the lies that people who can dunk a basketball are better than people who can't dunk a basketball. That people who can be on the cover of magazines are better than the people who won't ever be on covers of magazines. And a lot of the body image stuff that we have, a lot of the negative body stuff that we have is because of sin in the world. And so when we talk about our glorious resurrected bodies, imagine what it will be like to live in your body and really like it. To love your body because you will see your body as God sees your body. You will look in the mirror and see yourself as God sees you and you're gonna go, yes! That is beautiful. That is beloved. That is precious. And that's the transformed body. We will be changed in a moment from to yes! That's resurrection. That's what it looks like. That's the difference it will make. And if that is true for then, what does that mean for now? It means I am going to see you with the eyes of God. And you're going to see each other with the eyes of God. And you are going to treat this as if it is a beautiful gift from God. And you are going to laugh at the lies of the enemy. You are going to laugh. And you will long for the day when makeup will be no more. And spanks will be no more. And plastic surgery will be no more. And the envy of other people because they look better than you think you look will be no more. For the old order of things, death will have passed away. And we will be resurrected. And the sign that Jesus gives us week in, week out, when we gather for worship, is a sign that involves our bodies. He could have given us an idea. Think about this. He gave us food. Feed your body. Smell, taste, listen to the words, look at the gift. This is a holistic body event. You come forward, you rip off a piece. Not of this, this. And you feast at the table of the Lord who loves your body and sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the world, not just to resurrect himself, but to resurrect us all to new life. Will you pray with me? God, what an amazing thing it is to hear truth about our bodies when so often we hear lies. So, Lord, we pray that as we take this food, that it feeds us body and soul, that it heals us from the inside out, and that it pushes out any lies from the enemy and resounds as truth within us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.